0: Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad you joined us as we continue conversations around how to create a just society Uh, Right where you are, wanting to help you understand what you have available to you and even understanding what skills you have available and then uh, applying that right to your neighborhood. And today we've got a three part series we're starting today around refugees and immigrants and the injustices they face, the struggles for justice and then just the struggle for a good life and how you as a listener can uh, help refugees and immigrants that come into your neighborhood. And today we're even talking more specifically about refugees from Iran and immigrants. That's because there's one right here with me in the studio today who is joining us as a guest for this series, Soela. And Soela, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, as we Soela and I work together a lot throughout the week. So we know each other quite well. And her stories that she shared as we prepared for this series was quite interesting. And so today we're gonna to have you share your story, uh, what life was like in Iran for you, and then, you know, what it has become like to transition into the United States because you've been here for a long time now. And then we're gonna talk about what does life look like in Iran for women? And what you can do uh, as a listener, if you see someone from Iran come into your neighborhood, how can you reach out to them and love? So, uh, yeah, I'm so glad you joined us. I, I love Thank working you. with you. <laughs> Same and, here. Yeah. Thank you. So how long have you been here in the United States?
1: Well, uh, about 20 years.
0: Okay. Yeah, so you've had time to, to settle in, but yes. uh, before we really get into your story, those first few days here in the United States, what was that like for you?
1: Like hell. Yeah. <laughs> in what way? Well, I moved a day after my wedding with my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband was um, a graduate student at that time in Michigan and Michigan State University, and um, I came with not knowing any English. Went to Michigan, which is like very cold. Mm -hmm. So from somewhere that we had like four seasons to somewhere very cold, Um, not having any friends around, no family and um, nothing really, nothing. Mm -hmm. So for nine months, uh, that was my life to be at home. Uh, with um, no uh, work permit, nothing. So we had a very small TV, and um, I was just looking, watching TV without understanding anything, really.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that would be tough, because I'm assuming you didn't know the language yet.
1: Yes, yeah. I didn't speak any English at the time, but the funny thing was that um, I used to, you know, watch a lot of TV, um, and so... I would pick up words without knowing what they mean. Oh, yeah. So I would, you know, recite the, you know, um, um you know, songs for my husband and he would be like, um, do you know what they mean? And I'm like, no idea. <laughs> and that was the point that he said you need to pick up a dictionary.
0: <laughs> yes, good for him. Good suggestion. Right. Uh, good reading too when you uh, can't get to sleep at night. Just read a dictionary, you'll be fast asleep. Soon. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> right so let's go back now you uh born and raised in iran what was life like growing up there sure
1: um so i grew up in one of the most religious cities um in iran um isfahan and the second largest city um well i grew up in a very you know um, um i don't know how to say a non-religious um household uh-huh. um so um so so life was uh, interesting because you constantly get um you know faced by you know this um uh, these challenges in the society, and um, they they contradict what what you are told at home, mm-hmm. um, and um, because it's a theocracy, the system is a theocracy, which is like re- religion is like very much tied to laws, and so everything is gender based and um, all of that. And so, for me, I always struggle to figure out where that line is that I shouldn't cross you know, oh, yeah. as a woman, and um, um, because it was not defined in my family. Um, so I had to cover up outside, but within home and, you know, in private parties, I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I was actually forbidden by my dad because my dad thought it's like restricting women. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I had my mom who was like very traditional in a sense that she wouldn't know how to pray or anything, but she traditionally was told to cover her hair. And so she would, you know, push those, you know, ideas to us as women. Yeah. And it was just interesting to yeah. go through all
0: of that. Now, I understand you grew up after the revolution. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So were your parents then, I suppose, pre revolution? People, so what kind of tensions... I mean, how do you work those kinds of things out? I mean, like here in the United States, my, I'm living... And this, there's a massive revolution. My kids are living after. How do you deal with
1: all of that? Right, this? that's a very interesting question, because my dad was one of the ones who contributed to the revolution because um, he was in the army in in the '70s, and um, he he didn't like the hierarchical system, and um, he wanted, and he, so many like so many people, they thought that the revolution would bring them, um, you know, justice and uh, freedom but um it turned into something else Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: um and um yeah i grew up after i grew up um exactly at the time um, that there was a war between iran and iraq Mm -hmm. and so that's something that i have vivid memories of Mm -hmm. you know growing up especially because my dad was in the army at that time too
0: okay yeah so uh did it feel chaotic growing up, or did you have what you would call a normal life? What was life like for you
1: um, there's always peace and chaos too <laughs> yeah good, <laughs> right? good point so um so and you and you find um you find corners uh, to find peace within chaos, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and those corners would be, you know, your relatives, your family, um, your um, doll, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it was chaotic. Um, from when I was born, I, I, I mean, I, I, was born in the war until I was like six. Oh, okay. Um, so. Um, we were two years in to the war already, and um, and so yeah, I I started preschool um, in a village. Um, so that felt like very interesting. I mean, it it kind of informs who I am today. You know, yeah, so much of, of it. Yeah. Um, and that's why I function really well under chaos.
0: Ah, <laughs> I see. That makes sense.
1: Right. Yeah. Mm, I I you know, it's not like here that you know if. A car is parked in the wrong place in this um, street. All the people, you know, go around to to avoid that car. It's not like that back home. You know, you're just, you would eventually learn to not hit the car, but, (laughs) but, you know, not stop
0: the traffic either. (laughs) Okay, interesting. So uh, just kind of uh, inform listeners even here in America, maybe... Uh, when Americans complain about certain segments of the population, maybe that gives us some insight.
1: Mm-hmm. He was talking
0: about finding the corners in the chaos, why people do what they do. Why do the homeless all congregate in this one place in this mm-hmm. big camp? Because that's the corner of peace and the chaos. Right. Or, uh, you know, whatever segment of the population we're talking about. So uh, Right.
1: yeah. But also I have to mention, now looking back, it may... To me, as somebody who's been here, you know, for almost twenty years, it looks it it feels like it was chaotic, but for people, that's what they know. So uh, yeah. that's not necessarily, you know, as chaotic. Yeah, that's what they know. That's life.
0: <laughs> okay, very interesting. So you uh, leave your homeland. Mm-hmm. So what led up to that, and how was that process?
1: Oh sure. Uh, so my husband was born here in the '70s. Um, her father, his sorry, his father, um, was uh, doing his PhD here um, at the time, and uh, he was born here. And then, um, because the government sent him, he had to go back and teach at the university. Um, but my husband had the opportunity to come back. So after he finished his bachelor's, he came back to do his master's and PhD here. And um, we met each other at the university back home where I was also studying. Um, And so we got married. Um, And one of the reasons that we got married was that we wanted to be together, but with the relationships between Iran and the US, it was not possible to not be married and, and maintain that relationship. So we ended up getting married before our older siblings, which is like kind of odd, mm. um, and we were very young. So he came here and um, did the paperwork for me a year and a half, um, one year and six months after um, I joined him here. Okay, yeah.
0: Um, what does it feel like to leave your homeland behind. I mean, I've traveled internationally. I do work among the poor in Kenya, and I love it. I mean, I'm just like, once the United States disappears from the airplane, I'm out over the Atlantic, you know, and I'm headed towards Africa. For me, it's like, oh, I love it, because I really enjoy Kenya. Yeah. And the whole time I'm over there, I'm not thinking about the United States. I'm just like, hey, man, this is great. But I'm going back, right? Exactly. That's why you're not thinking about Exactly but i've never been in a situation where it's like first of all there's no return and it's not really my will. Mm-hmm. So you're you came because of a marriage and so on but there are people literally forced out of their homeland against their will. The latest statistic i heard 300 million people right now in refugee camps around the world. Mm-hmm. So they're not they don't even have a homeland. They're just right ripped out of their homeland and now they're stuck somewhere sometimes for up to 20 years in a place that's nowhere it's they don't belong anywhere so yeah what's what once you're leaving that your homeland where you you know life (laughs) how you know people here in the united states this is how they know life Iran, that's how you knew life tell me what's going through your mind sure
1: Um, I mean, I was 22 and um, the image I had of the U.S. was the Hollywood. So I grew up. <laughs> I uh, think you everybody know, has right? that, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I grew up, in, you know, MTV, um, you know. From, oh, yeah. Uh, right. So and I was like those pool parties, you know, but yeah. no, um, I came to a very small, um, you know, um, college town and it was like, like I was shocked. Um so um all the stores were closed at 6 p.m. and I I'm, I'm from a very large city that people actually head out at mm. 10 p.m. you know but how did it feel leaving things behind I I would say if I um if I'm to categorize the last 20 years there were different emotions um at different times depending and where i was mentally and you know with um financial uh financially and um and physically um so the first year was hell because i couldn't speak the language i wanted to connect with people i couldn't i'm very social so <laughs> i yes, was I absolutely <laughs> disconnected and um not only because of language but uh, i was in a remote area and um so i developed a very deep depression because of that and i i still hate that town you know my in-laws live there mm-hmm. i don't want to go there yeah yeah and and so but but for me it was the idea of the first year i was like i would never be able to see my family because i didn't have the travel documents to go back but once i received you know um those travel documents that didn't feel like restricting as much. So a year and a half after I went to visit my family, it was liberating. I felt like, okay, I can, I can see them anytime I want. So that changed my perspective completely. But that's very different from um, an experience of um, a refugee because they would never ever more likely ever. Some some can go back after five years, but yeah. for some countries, they would never yeah, think of wow. going back.
0: So let's talk about this for a moment before we progress into your story. I've had many uh, people who I email back and forth who are trying to get in the United States. And, you know, I, I tell them, I, the United States is not Hollywood. Nowhere close. I said, <laughs> we have murders. We have suicides. We have, uh, you know, rape. We have... Yeah. Have it all, yeah. just like you know we're we're not anyway. perfect. So I try to help give them a reality check. But this is why I kind of want to help listeners understand: is to the person born and raised in America, it's like yeah, the land of the free, the home of the brave. God bless the USA. All this stuff, right? right? But a person who is taken out of their homeland mm-hmm. and placed here, what's what's what are they seeing in the United States as they first arrive? Are they feeling that sense of land of the free, home of the brave? Or what are they sensing?
1: Mm, I mean, um, not fully.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I feel like um, we lose so many things to gain so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I lost uh, belonging to a family, you know, and in, in feeling loved and wow. belonged in general mm-hmm. to gain um, a degree, to gain house you mm-hmm. know yeah. that i could potentially gain all of that back home you know mm-hmm. uh which actually my my siblings they bought their houses before we did <laughs> yeah so um i feel like but but it's uh it's the freedom for for a, a woman that is like um, somebody like me who's a hardcore feminist you know um i would be able to still you know navigate in Iran if I chose to stay there, like many other amazing women who live there and, and still function, but, um, I wouldn't be able to participate in an interview like this.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. Yeah.
1: Or when I was teaching, there were subject matters that I could talk about, um, versus I could never ever go near them if I was to teach in Iran. know
0: yeah okay so um how did you find your groove here in the united states that point you know getting to that point where you are now where it's just kind of free flowing now for you so how did you find that groove
1: it was really hard yeah lots of ups and downs but have goals yeah um i had a goal without knowing i i realized that oh i'm picking up english really quick and so um, i think I, I think language is the first thing mm-hmm. and then and then connecting with people i for for 6 years um the first 6 years i was just connected to my iranian community in that city but mm-hmm. then i was forced to go to a even smaller city all white people and then i found my best friends there, you know, <laughs> in
0: art school. Surprise, surprise,
1: yes. Right, yeah. And I never, I I, I always wanted to, you know, have um, a friend. But, um, you know, sometimes it's harder when once the city is slightly bigger yes. because of segregations. But that city, I was in that bachelor's program, and my best friends came from the most conservative, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, families. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so eventually... With every move, I moved like four times okay. within the U.S. And with every move, you find you find your way. Yeah, you, know? you have to.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you made it here to Portland, to an international city. So <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, let's switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what life is like in Iran for women. Um, uh, a lot of people, you know, who are listening here, maybe in England, maybe in America or wherever, not quite understanding. Uh, what's a woman go through there on a daily basis?
1: Um, I have to say that I don't want to ever victimize <laughs> women, Iranian women, course, because yeah. I find each of them to be um, fighters. Yeah. Uh, but there's a system that is against them. You know, it's this systematic um, sexism that is contributing to, unfortunately, the way things function yeah. in Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, very much so is against women, you know. Yeah. Um, um, I, I'll give you a few examples, you know, and and those are the things that those ideas um, are the ideas that led to the, um, maybe soon to be a revolution, you know. Um, uh, this is the only female led revolution you know and uh it's because the the majority of uh, population in universities are women Mm -hmm. but the majority of the work force (laughs) Mm -hmm. are men and um i mean that shows you right right there Mm -hmm. um yes not having the equal pay is another thing yeah but um if you want to divorce your husband uh, let's say you have a child the custody of the child goes to your husband unless your husband is a drug addict which more likely you can bribe somebody and say hey it's it's otherwise um so it's funny in many of um you know um courts, uh, you hear you know does he hit you if if the, if a woman you know wants to divorce the husband um she has to go through such an extensive you know process to say okay does he hit you if he hits you it's a maybe you know and and then wow. you have to you know come up with um evidence hmm. of that you cannot ever say you know i'm it's like mentally um abusing me yeah. there's no such a thing you know yeah. and um so many so many things mm. um that are unfortunately very systematic
0: yeah so, yeah and sad it mm-hmm. breaks my heart and yeah. then you feel helpless like what can i do about it exactly. you know um in a moment we're going to talk about how to help iranians and other refugees mm-hmm. and immigrants that are coming in to your neighborhood, but uh, as the person, the re- let's just take a refugee family from Iran. What injustices have they most likely faced before they come came here, whether they're man or woman?
1: Right. Um, I think for refugees, uh, especially for Iranians, um, as um, completely different story because either they belong to LGBTQ community or um they were um you know politically involved in some sort some way uh or they belong to a minority group, religious minorities, okay. Christian, Baha'i, any of those. Um if they came here as immigrants, that actually is that sort of puts them in different category because they often come from that privileged background of having money to be okay. able to travel gotcha. or having family who had money to come here oh, to be gotcha. able to yeah, get you yeah. here, you that know, all of sense. that. Or, or, um, if you come here as, um, as a student, you actually work very hard, <laughs> yeah. you know, to, to get that visa, um, to get here. Um, what was the other
0: question? Oh, the other question was yeah, you know, we were talking about what injustices have they faced mm-hmm. uh, before getting here. Right. We're, yeah, we're getting now to the point of once they land in my neighborhood, uh, how do we do that? And we can get in that conversation now. Sure. But they've faced these various things, maybe in the court system, maybe just in society in general and now there's this family that's in my neighborhood uh, i want to reach out to them i want to welcome them to the neighborhood let's talk about that very first question how do i even welcome them to the neighborhood knowing that just even how we welcome people can be a very culturally bound <laughs> way of doing it right True. so the iranian family uh, or let's say especially the refugee family lands in my neighborhood how do I make that first contact in a way that's non-offensive for them?
1: Right. Um, first off, don't have any assumptions. Um, you know, if you don't know anything, you can, you can read about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, or um, ask questions in a very gentle manner um, that wouldn't indicate any assumptions. Okay. You know, um, take off your shoes <laughs> before <Okay. laughs> entering. Um, make sure if... Uh, because there are multiple, I mean, groups in Iran, you know, depending on how religious they are. And make sure not to enter the house without, you know, uh, mm-hmm. them knowing. Um, or, you know if if a woman has to cover up you know that's that's another thing um don't do handshake with uh, women unless she she reaches <laughs> oh, okay that's a yeah. good
0: thing to know because <laughs> right. that's an automatic here you know just...
1: right but but you know that's like for any hmm. manner classes they say yeah <laughs> You're right. wait for the woman but um uh, very much so with um immigrants um i would say um don't assume they're arabs because they're not and don't assume they speak arabic and that's something that they're like okay very sensitive about because so many of them who were forced out was because they have a conflicted relationship with uh, you know theocracy in islam yeah true true. so um and um, just love them for who they are, and uh, allow them to love you back
0: for who you are. Okay. Now, as the relationship gets built, how can I connect them to you know whether it's learning English, whether it's understanding how to get stable housing, or maybe how how to buy food, how does sp- how does money work in the United States? Uh, all these things at play to help them. How do I help them?
1: Right. Uh, For Iranians specifically that we're talking, um, we have a really um, good, very similar banking system to here. So majority of people know um how to use banking uh, etc it's just a minor stuff that you know like you mentioned you know um this grocery might have better deals than the other one you know mm-hmm. um these are the things that we constantly ask each other you know as within the community of immigrants you know iranian immigrants that you know where do i buy this or you know my Kid, this is the first time he's going to be on a school bus. Uh, how would that experience be? What should I look forward or look um, into? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't go. I we didn't we don't have school buses back home, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm. that, and then yeah, and then yeah. How? What do I need to know before? my son experiences something like that, that I've mm. never had the experience, mm-hmm. you know, and so many things like that. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And there's a lot more we're going to talk about. So we hope you'll join us for the next uh, episode where we're going to get deeper into stories of life for refugees and immigrants. So we'll get more into those, but wow, we're at the end already. So <laughs> I appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, and all of these insights, next uh, episode, many more insights as we get deeper into what life is really like for refugees and immigrants. Uh, but any closing words that you have for us?
1: Well, thank you for um, creating this platform, honestly, to yeah. to raise awareness.
0: Yeah, thank you. And thank you for what you do. Uh, Soela Azadi, who does so much for refugees and immigrants day in, day out, and inspires me to be better uh, at what I do. appreciate you, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. Yeah, so uh, we hope this is a help. Uh, Email us with any questions you have or comments you have, and we wish you the very best as you seek to create a just society and a welcoming society right where you are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis a common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.